Not long ago, in a far-off corner of a place called the Internet, a revolution was born. Forged in the fires of common experience, the survivors of a mysterious movie known only as A Talking Cat came together. Their purpose, to dissect this fascinating failure of a film and broadcast their findings through the cosmos in hopes that future generations might learn from their mistakes. Some would call them heroes, others would call them mad, but despite the grueling road ahead of them, the group would take up this Sisyphean task and become a talking cast? Are they adventurers, sinner as a savior's or Are they demented, love the punishment, I can't be sure But one thing I do know is that the mission here to force To make your life so hard that you'll be pissing on your kitchen floor Hello everybody, and welcome back to A Talking Cast The A Talking Cat podcast that nobody ever asked for But we're bringing it to you anyway I am your host, Dylan Reed Miller. I'm Gigi Launchbox. And I'm Claude Myron Guzer. Today we are tackling minute 2301 to minute 24. Oh man, it is an action-packed minute. <laughs> See, you're being sarcastic, <laughs> but... Yes, yes, I am. Well, our minute begins uh, with Duffy walking over a little garden boundary that is the same shot from the beginning. Mm-hmm. It's a classic. It's a continuation of a shot from the beginning. Mm-hmm. So Duffy walks, there's some uplifting music. In quotation marks. In quotation yeah. marks. Nice MIDI music. <laughs> Some little piano. The mom walks one way, the daughter walks the other way, and then we get a lovely phone conversation. Did it strike either of y'all that the mom is strutting a little bit? It just struck me that she had this kind of strut into the hallway, and then she's out of the scene. Once more, we have a character who enters and disappears. She probably has like cheese puffs to make or something. Come on. So many cheese puffs, so many cheese puffs. But we're in the kitchen. And she doesn't stay in the kitchen. So if she is making cheese puffs, why is she doing it in the basement? <laughs> She's going in the other room to drink, I think. <laughs> so anyway, once the mom disappears from space time, uh, we, we get the daughter uh, comes in on the phone and sits on the couch and talking to mystery friend. I don't know who it is. It's, it's kind of amazing. It's yeah. this, this moment really fascinated. I mean, I, I've been talking about how the other moments, like, really grabbed me. But this one, um, it, it's basically 20 seconds, like a straight 20 seconds of, I know. I know. I know. I know. I know. I know. <laughs> I don't think the director has ever talked to a woman before. <laughs> and just, like, got that from how other media portrays girls, like... All right. I'm not going to go off the deep end yet, but it did. Stri- it, it almost seemed like. Do you remember? Did you guys see the Aviator? Yeah. Yeah. Do you, Do you remember the Aviator where you know at the end he's trying to practice talking again and again, and he keeps saying the same line again and again. He's like freaking out. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of what it re- reminded me of. Like she's having this freak out of of trying to reiterate this conversation. You never hear the other part. And she's sort of spinning in space in the solipsistic universe trying to perfect the affirmation of knowledge again and again and again. But it's just not working because every time she says, I know, she has to cover up the crack by saying, I know, I know, I know. And to keep practicing and keep saying it over and over again, to, to, to tell herself 
that she can have some knowledge of this chaotic universe, when in reality, what she keeps illustrating are the cracks in that knowledge. The more she has to keep reiterating that, the more it falls to, par, uh, falls to pieces underneath her, much like my bizarre theories that I'm spelling out right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, I actually think, like, at this point, rewatching the minute, mm-hmm. it seems to me that she'd be talking to Franny, because she, she says, like, oh, you know, he, he probably just likes you. Like, boys are clueless that way. But I never, I don't think they ever really establish who she's talking Well, it doesn't, I mean, it's not I important. don't think they do either, and I think when they run into each other later, they don't know each other, but... Yeah. Um, it's to, it, the, the call is totally unimportant. Nothing. <laughs> yeah, It doesn't but I move guess anything just, forward. <laughs> I guess it's just um, every girl in that world has a clueless boy they're trying to impress or something. I don't know. Yeah. At least this passes the Bechdel test because she talks to her mom about things. <laughs> At least it does that. <laughs> so she, she's talking to someone else about a thing that is not necessarily directly related to a man. And it's, it's not. But we don't not know this, that. Not we in don't this know conversation. That. Oh, okay. But she also talks to her mom. Okay, sure. Yeah. Sure, okay. And she talks to the boys, or she talks to everyone about the cat at some point, doesn't she? So I don't know. I think this this passes, right? What a world we live in where a talking cat passes it and most mainstream movies don't. <laughs> you know, see, I haven't seen the, the rest of the film. I'm just watching this minute by minute, right? Mm-hmm. And that's, that's what's so fascinating is that if you take this conversation as just a person on the phone speaking to nothing, you know, it's kind of, it has much more resonance than whatever context or non-context it has in the film. So they never talk about who she's on the phone with or where this conversation is going or what exactly is happening. It's just like a mystery conversation in the middle of nothing. The whole conversation is just an excuse to get the cat, like, motivated. <laughs> <laughs> Tuna would have worked better, right? If we're going into Duffy's lines, then when he's mentally projecting you know, what you don't know is that I need you to look at your beeping machine. And in some ways we are in mm-hmm. the position of her, even though we're, we're audience members, it's another meta narratorial turn because, you know, she's, she's reiterating, I know, I know, I know, but the cat points out that there's this whole other realm of knowledge, which is unavailable to human thought. We also are in that position because we do not know the purpose of this phone call. We don't know who she's talking to. We don't know if she is even communicating with another person. There's there's the potential for this to be, um, you know, a solitary mind just flitting around in its solipsistic universe. I mean, it really reminds me of Descartes, <clears throat> where you know he's. <laughs> I couldn't keep you going. Could, I knew you couldn't say that with a straight face. <laughs> I couldn't oh, keep going. God. I tried. I tried. Claude, Claude, you're my favorite guest. No offense oh. to G or any other guests. I love you all, but... Uh, I'm sorry. Oh. I, I apologize for that. I, uh, Jesus. You piled it a little too deep there and it collapsed. <laughs> Um, oh. you know, like, where I was going was to try to see if the cat could be interpreted as the Cartesian demon manipulating the mind in space, trying to convince it that it is experiencing something when it is not experiencing that. But um, yeah, so she's on the phone for however many long and Duffy interrupts her. Uh, what else can we say about this drunk cat? Well, um, did you notice that, that there's like a little pile of cat food in front of him trying to keep him there? <laughs> 
<laughs> and also how filthy everything is. <laughs> yeah, they need to clean that kitchen. Yeah. It's like, I'm looking at the pause screen right now, and it's like, oh my god, just look at that door and that floor. <laughs> well, you know, I, I was wondering about this. Okay, y'all did a little more research on this than I did. Um, they're filming in actual locations, right? Like yeah. people's houses or... Uh-huh. Uh, I know that the rich per the rich family's house is like a house that he films in a lot. Right. This, so it's a real this, house. This other house, uh, mm -hmm. I've, I've only watched two others of his movies and it showed up in both of them. Uh, it okay. was it was also in The Magic Puppy and Bigfoot versus D.B. Cooper. Okay. <laughs> this house okay. was in both of them. <laughs> I've seen a magic puppy. I don't remember this house, but I was probably pretty drunk, so. So you saw this house show up in a couple of the other ones? Yeah. Okay. Was it in the same state of filth? Well, they only showed the exterior of it on those. Oh, okay. So, so both locations are reused often by the director. Yeah. Would you say that those locations add to his style? It's a Tarantino-esque <clears throat> trunk shot in location form. Well, shirtless twinks are still the overarching, you know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's the uh, it's the aesthetic of his movies is shirtless twinks. Yes. <laughs> See, I, I that's getting into weird territory. Who doesn't love that? Well, that's getting into weird territory because if if. If he's shooting around the cabin in the woods, wouldn't that, you know, go for a more bearish aesthetic? That's not his thing, apparently. Okay, you know? all right. <laughs> it's pretty obvious. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the cat tells her that he really wants her to check her beeping machine. Um, watching this out of context, that sounds so sinister. But he's been known to say things in a sinister tone that aren't very sinister yeah. things so i think i think he just ha falls into a sinister pattern of speech sometimes okay well he does i mean he's putting all these people together we don't know it's for good it may be for evil the cat goes to telling her to check her beeping machine all right i know i don't want to extend too far beyond the moment but why does the cat want her to check her beeping machine and what is her beeping machine is that a euphemism for something or is that <laughs> You read like a sex cats. toy or something? <laughs> I mean, he he has been known to creep on some of the women in the film before, so it's not impossible. But well, I don't think I want to tell you what she checks her beeping machine for. I think we should leave that for the next episode of a talking cast. So, unless you guys have any further thoughts, I, I've used up all my thinking for like the next couple of weeks. I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> no, right. I think we pretty much covered it. You know, you got your one-sided phone conversation and your, you know, drunken cat. That, that's pretty much this minute in a nutshell. <laughs> I, I I have tried to find meaning in a talking cat. I think I've used up my intelligence for the next five years. Well, then we hope that you all will join us again next time to find out what is on her beeping machine. This has been A Talking Cast, episode 24. I've been Dylan. I'm Gigi. And I'm Claude from time to time. Thank you all very much for listening to this episode of A Talking Cast. If you enjoyed it and you want to stay up to date with our future episodes, please like us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash a talking cast or follow us on Twitter at a talking cast. Join us again next time, everybody. Bye. Bye. Minute by minute.
that's what they'll be diving in to shed some clarity on this hilariously failed attempt. So grab a friend and crack a beer with them and listen in. A talking cast is about to begin. That was episode 24 of A Talking Cast, the A Talking Cat podcast that nobody ever asked for. Your host was Dylan Reed Miller with guest host Gigi Launchbaugh and Claude Myron Gooser. Edited by Darren Husted. Music by Casey Trimble. Voiceover by John Kovaleski. Artwork by Josh Hollis. Executive producers Sarah Cantor and Darren Husted. Copyright 2014. All rights reserved. This podcast is not affiliated with Rapid Heart Productions. A Talking Cat is owned by Rapid Heart Productions. No infringement is intended. For the memory of Charles Harris.